Coming up on episode 297 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Subaru Impreza RS and Crosstrek, uh, the BMW X7 M60i, the Chrysler Pacifica, Ram Rebel, Grant Jeep Grand Wagoneer, uh, an electric Corvette from 1994, the new Chevy Trax, an Acura NSX trailer, a next-gen Mini E, and is it the end of the line for Lordstown? All that and more coming up next. This is episode 297 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Nicole Wakeland from Car Talk, which I'm answering really quickly because a listener had an issue that I take too long to decide which to say. Car Talk, there you go. <laughs> and I'm Tanya Gazdick from Media Post, and I freelance for Wards Auto. All right. And Robbie uh, is. Uh, out today because uh, he he and one of his bands had to play a gig at a wedding last night in I think Yosemite and yeah. uh, so he wanted a little extra time to get home so um, we've got Tanya filling in uh, and and Tanya and Nicole get to gang up on me this week we do it's always two guys and me and I'm like yeah it's the ladies today go Tanya go Nicole woohoo <laughs> <laughs> all right. Nicole, what have you been driving? I have been driving a lot of stuff I can't talk about yet, and then some stuff I can talk about. So I'm going to tell you about the 2024 Subaru Impreza RS. Um, so it's the fanciest of the Imprezas, or maybe not the fanciest, I guess just... Is, is that a relative description? You know, isn't fancy fanciest, as Imprezas yes. go? It's, <laughs> it's a fancy Ford Impreza. Yes, how's that? <laughs> um, so it's actually, I guess not fancy, but the sportiest. So this is new to the, the, the um, Impreza is all new this year. So whole vehicle completely redesigned. The RS is also new to this lineup. Like they've had RSs before, but it's the first time it's added to the Impreza. So what is this is their sportier, more powerful trim. It looks the part and it drives the part because it actually does have a more powerful version. It still has a 2.5 liter four cylinder, but regular Impreza, 152 horsepower, 145 pound feet of torque. RS, 182 horsepower, 178 pound feet. So there is a jump. It's not just like we made it look purdy and we said it was sporty. Nope. They actually gave it a bit more power, uh, which is nice. So they also did other things like there's 18 inch wheels that are exclusive to this. There is a whole bunch of sort of appearance stuff that also makes it look the part, which I think is great. Like it adds on, um, like the seats are sort of, they have sort of red along the both bolstering and there's sort of a red and black diamondy kind of triangle pattern on the upholstery. They call it RS cloth upholstery, RS interior trim. The floor mats get a logo. Um, you know, it, it just, it looks like something a little sportier and a little more fun inside. And it comes standard with the all weather package, which New Englander, two stage heated front seats, heated side mirrors. Thank you very much. I'm in like, I might turn them on this morning. It's only 58 degrees here. So well, t-shirt weather. I, it, it practically is. I mean, you'd be riding with the top down right now, right? Sam on the Miata. I, I, I did on Friday when I went to uh, uh, a Ford event. See? So yeah. So it, so it looks the part, which I think I actually, that's important to me. If I buy a car, that's the sportier version that has more power or they've done something, they've improved the suspension. They've changed something to make it supposedly sportier. I want it to drive that way for real. And I want it to look that way for real. I want it to look the part and it definitely looks the part. Um, it's a little five door hatchback. It's not a huge vehicle, uh, but it's, comfy. It's surprisingly, even though it's a sportier version of a little hatchback of a hot little hatch kind of thing, it's 
not so it's not harsh. I mean, we have terrible roads in the Northeast, like established fact, same thing in Michigan. You guys, we have matching crummy roads. <laughs> and if you have a sporty car, a car that has a lot of power, that has a little bit of a stiffer um, suspension system to it, it's great when you take it on the highway, but it can be harsh when you're just driving on side roads, which is where a lot of the driving happens for me. This wasn't harsh. And I appreciated that. Um, but does have great power. When you when you mash the gas to get on the highway, it'll squish you back in your seat a little bit. You'll get that little squish. Um, it, and it sounds, it has a CVT, which isn't always my, does that have a CVT? It does, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I think I think also, yeah, it's like, aside from a few that still offer manuals, they're yeah, all CVTs. I think it's, and I think it has a, um, I say that and now suddenly I'm like, wait, am I mixing up my vehicles from other vehicles? Yeah, it has, an, it has a CVT, but it has a manual mode if you want to kind of take control of it yourself, which like, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Like, I, I appreciate the thought, like, we're going to give you a manual mode. I'm like, if you don't give me the pedals to match, I kind of don't want it. It's yeah. Bad. I mean, well, most automakers offer that with their CVTs. All it is, is, you know, a set of pre-programmed ratios that it steps between, right. you know, and you can, you know, sometimes does it have paddle shifters or do you have to tap the, the shift lever? I'm drawing a blank. All I can think of is the Alfa Romeo that I was in on yesterday <laughs> when I flew back. I'm drawing a blank whether it had paddle shifters, but either yeah, way, I, I I doubt the Impreza has paddles. Yeah. Um. So e either way, it's like I I don't feel like I ever use like the manual mode on those. I just. Eh. Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't cost a manufacturer anything to to put that capability in there. It's just a little bit, you know, a few lines of code. You know, there's no additional hardware unless they add the paddles, you know, in which case. And I feel like it makes it seem fun. Like it's one of those, yeah. like, there's a manual mode. Ooh, nah, nah. Give me the paddle. I, I want a real manual. I, I To me, you say sporty, and it's like, if it's sporty, it's, there should be a manual. Exactly. And there's not. Like, there is there is no actual manual, which is disappointing but the three of us and two other humans in the world can drive one right now so <laughs> or at least at least, or at in, least in, in the u.s in the u.s yeah right in europe everyone can drive one i think i still think right i feel yeah. like most people can because so many of their cars have a manual transmission and my, my older daughter manuals. can my yeah. older daughter can drive a manual because she used to work for drive shop and so she needed to learn to drive a manual. So I taught her how to drive a stick but there you yeah. go good yeah. for you passing on the knowledge to the next generation my I have one daughter who can drive one and one daughter who couldn't, but she just got impatient. She's like, ah. I'm like, okay, if you get it. <laughs> sounds second. like my younger kid. Yeah. It was just like, I don't have time for this. I'm like, okay, well, hope you never get stuck in the only car you have is a manual and you're being chased by a killer bear. You're going to die because you wouldn't take five minutes to let me teach you. <laughs> There's a couple of manufacturers who are trying to bring back the manual and trying to actually get younger people excited about it. I just, Ford is going to have a driving school for, for people who don't know how to do manuals, who, who don't know how to drive manuals for the Mustang. For yeah. the new Mustang. That's yeah. awesome. And, yeah. And, and Toyota said they're going to bring out some sort of simulated manual for oh. some of their future EVs. So oh. for some of their EV sports cars. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. How yeah. that, that works. would be cool. That's, you know, that's my thing. It's like, I love EVs and I love driving a manual. So how do you marry the two? So yeah. I think that would be cool. Out. Well, be my, cool. my niece for a school project, her, for her senior project, her thing was, I'm going to learn how to ma drive a manual transmission and I want to learn how to drive it off road. So she went like all in and she did great because I helped teach her. But um, yeah, that's the only kid that I know that actively said, 
yeah, this would be cool. I want to learn how to do this. Others, it's kind of like, well, I must, because the only car my parents will give me is the old beaten up fill in the blank. And it has a manual <laughs> transmission. So therefore I have to learn to drive one, you know, smart parents should make their children drive manuals, make their teenagers. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you're not going to be texting if you're driving. Well, you shouldn't be texting and driving. It's a lot harder to do. <laughs> I, I've, I, yeah, I don't know how you would because I feel like, how could you? I've <laughs> never tried. Clearly, I've never tried it, and I'm not going to try this experiment. But I yeah. feel like that would be next to impossible. I feel like it's bad enough when people are doing texting and driving without. But yeah, no, definitely don't do that. So does not have a manual transmission, but has a manual control mode, um, but is very fun to drive. It still has enough of a sporty handling to it. Among the long, huge list of improvements, they did things to make it the chassis a little bit stiffer. Um, and that's across the whole Impreza lineup. So you can feel that um, they did a lot of they did lots of little upgrades like they have now that 11.6 inch vertical infotainment screen that's now available. First time it's been available in the Impreza. They now made eyesight driver assistance standard. I guess it, I think it was just like the manual transmission. It was almost standard before, but not quite. It was like really close to it. Now it is standard. Um, they have things like wireless available wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And it starts the starting price for the base one, for the one, you know, if you're just getting a base Impreza, according to them, is twenty two nine nine five, which is pretty affordable. If you get all the way up to keep going up, so the base is twenty two nine nine five. You go for the sport in the middle, twenty four nine nine five. Come all the way up to the RS, twenty seven eight eight five. And I have to do math to have our destination game because I do not have a Monroni surprise surprise. But I still feel like though that pricing. That's not crazy pricing. This is a fun little car. It has good standard features, um, especially like this. It's like you've got a sporty little hatchback that you didn't break the bank to get. It's got standard all-wheel drive, so you can drive it around any time of year. You know, a lot of times if it doesn't have standard all-wheel drive, you're paying an extra couple thousand dollars to add that to a vehicle. You don't have to add that to it. So I I'm, I think this is a good value overall. Okay, cool. wait. I'm going to get – wait. Let me get my destination number on the screen. Is that right? I'm having to do math. Math is really more of a Sam <laughs> thing. So I feel like this should really be, but I'm going to do the math. But I don't okay. want to cheat. So I'll, I'll okay. Let you yeah. I can't have you do it. Cause you do it in your head in two seconds. Um, okay. Tell me what, give me figures. What do you, what do you think the destination charge is on the 2024 Subaru Impreza? Tanya, why don't you guess first? Oh, I always get this wrong. Seven ninety five. That's way too low. Oh, yeah, that is way too low. All right, make it twelve ninety five. Twelve. That, you, that's better. Okay, okay. you're uh, letting Sam could just be faking you out. Why are you listening to him? I'll, I'll go with uh, nine ninety five. Okay, see, Sam's gonna win. It is actually according to my math ten ninety, which seems like a weird number, but I did my math twice. Yeah, but if she had gone with seven ninety five, she still would have lost. She still I mean, would have lost. There hasn't been a car with a seven hundred ninety five dollar <laughs> delivery charge in a long time. In a thousand. Now when we find one, I'm gonna be like, Sam, you're wrong, and we found one. <laughs> Spe- speaking of just a, a slight tangent, uh, yes. we talk about delivery charges. Um, this isn't one of the stories we're going to talk about this week, but um, earlier this week, uh, Ford announced some price cuts for the 2024 uh, Mustang Mach-E. Last year, they had raised prices a couple of times because battery material costs had gone up. Um, And now, you know, some car makers, you know, Tesla most notably, who've cut prices like six times since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, You know, Ford has announced some price cuts of anywhere from $700 to $3,000 
on the uh, the Mach E for the twenty four models, and they open the order books for those. But one there's a in the fine print. If you read through the whole the whole thing, they also increased the delivery charge by three hundred dollars. Oh, see, so, so they, so they, made they cut, up... the, cut the sticker price by seven hundred, but they raised the delivery charge by three hundred. So they really only cut it by four hundred. Cut it by four hundred. See those delivery fees. That's the like. The game it's, playing part of it. because It's you the, don't, the hidden price increase. And nobody, and you know that you can't like negotiate that stuff out and nope. you look at it and you're like, so as a consumer, I think you kind of look and go, well, that's the part I can't do anything about. So you don't look at it. You're like, if that just went up, your, your car isn't as much less as you thought it would be in the case of the Mach-E or it's a lot more than just generally speaking. It's like, you're paying $1,400 delivery. What? <laughs> the, the only automaker that I know of that, actually includes the delivery charge in their advertised prices. So when they talk about, yeah. you know, Chevy Bolt being like 26795 or whatever it is, um, you know, that that includes the delivery charge and the price that they advertise is GM. Really? Nobody else does that. So when you if you go through, you know, the Chevy or Buick or GMC or Cadillac websites and you see the price listed there, the um that includes the delivery charge. Yeah, you know, when you actually go through the configurator, what you'll see as it as you're going through the steps of the configurator, it actually shows the base MSRP is lower because it's showing you the base MSRP. Right. And then when you get to the end, it shows you that, but it should add up back to what, you know, on the other pages, on the main pages, when it shows the the price, that's, that's the price, including delivery. So credit to GM for doing that. And I think every automaker should be required to do that by law. It's so darn confusing in general to look at all that stuff, to look at the Monroney, to look at the breakdown when you're looking at a website. I mean, think about how hard it is. Like we, all three of us have been on a, the consumer version of the site instead of the media site to look something up and trying to build a vehicle to see what it costs or trying to check out what trim has what thing. And it's hard for us to get all the pieces and the pricing and all down. I'm like, but we look at that all the time. I can't even imagine at this point in my life being a consumer looking at that and going, oh, my God, like trying to figure it all out. It's not clear. It's well, not. As, you know, as you were describing the the Impreza, I was going I was on the Subaru site, you know, trying to find the Impreza because I wanted to see what the um, you talked about, the the piping on the uh, the interior, the red. Right. Piping. I wanted to yeah. see what that looked like. And there's there there is you can't no, find it. There is no Impreza RS listed here. See? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, that's the thing. It's like, oh, I wonder what the RS looks like. Good luck with that. Go to a dealer. Hope you find one. Like, these things should be easier. And when you someday, Sam, when they decide to give you a picture, or you delve into the media kit. I don't know where they have a picture of it. You'll get to see it. It's probably on the media site. Somewhere. It is. But it should be on a cons- Like, a consumer's going to want it. Like, wouldn't you want to know what that looks like? If the part of the big thing is it has all this RS interior stuff, it should just, like, blammo, pop up on the website and show you if you look at that. Is is the is this a, a twenty twenty four model? This is a twenty four. Okay, so it may be that it's not actually on sale yet. It could be. And so they, they, they have, may have just but not. Do they up, have? Do they have the twenty fours on the consumer site? Uh, I was looking at the media site. It looks like these are twenty threes. So maybe that's why. Maybe yeah. they haven't updated. Yeah, I don't now think that they've updated. Orders though. Now that they want everybody to order everything, I mean, it should be up and ready to be ordered, right? You would think I, so. You would think. And I'm looking through the press release to see if it yeah, says it's 2023 it Impreza on the media on the uh, consumer site. Hmm. They have the 24 right. Crosstrek, but the Impreza is still listed as a 23. Okay, you know why? Because it says I'm, I finally I'm scanning down the press kit. 2024 Impreza will be produced in the Subaru plant in Gunma, Japan, and begin arriving in Subaru retailers early summer. So okay. apparently they're not quite ready to. The, 
to put all this out there for consumers. Well, just I, w- yet. I would guess in, in the next few weeks, you'll be able It'll to show up. Yeah. yeah. Early summer is not that long from now. If, if they want them, if you, you know, if you're going to order it, it could take three months easily. Right. You order it today and you'll have it in September. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. 100%. Uh, all right. Uh, Tanya. What have you been driving? Well, I was just going to say, I, I feel like I looks like you had a Stellantis I, binge. Well, I yeah, did. She but, did. But let's stay with Subaru for a second, if if that's OK. OK. Subaru. I Nicole and I did not plan this, but I wore. Oh, you wore your new Subaru T-shirt because I was just on the Crosstrek drive. Yes. The 2024 Crosstrek drive. And I just pulled up the press release because I was curious about the destination and delivery for the Crosstrek, the 2024 do you guys want to take a guess? Oh, well, it's we twelve ninety five. It's not. Wait, what was the Impreza again? Ten ninety. Ten ninety for the Impreza. So let's say for Crosstrek, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go nine ninety five. Sam, yeah. uh, I'm going to go twelve ninety five. Sam nailed it. It is. Are you really? kidding? Five. It is twelve ninety five. Wow. So yeah. that's a little chunk. That's a good chunk more. Ten eleven. What is that? Almost two. I'm like, bucks? why? Why is yeah. why is the cross track, you know, two hundred dollars more than be, the be, because because the cross track is probably more popular. It sells in larger numbers than the Impreza does, okay. and so they're taking advantage of that. Wow, that's probably it. Supply okay. and demand. Supply and demand. They can yeah. cheap. They can they can charge it. I know, but it doesn't make sense. I agree with you, no. Tanya. It's like, why the, is this one the same size? It's a, and that one's it's not like one is a teeny tiny little sports exactly. car, and the other one is like a three row SUV. Then it would make sense. Then, then you're like, see. okay, it's, it's bigger. Way. It's going to take more way. space, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. But like these, I can't imagine the physical difference between these two is not that significant. No. But two, okay, two Subarus, to their credit, they are keeping the MSRP the same as the 2023. So it's going to start at 24995 For the yeah, Crosstrek? For the Crosstrek. Okay. So we talk about can we talk about the cross track for this episode when we get it is on there. Yeah, I think it's uh to, the embargoes tomorrow for that. Yeah, okay. the embargo the driving okay. impressions embargoes tomorrow. I mean, okay. I just looked and they they actually released all of the tech stuff in Chicago back yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, when they did the reveal of the Chicago Auto Show. So really, they didn't tell us anything at the drive that we didn't already have, no. but we didn't actually get to take it through. Um yeah pretty decent paces. They, they took us to a mountain and we drove up the mountain, like a ski mountain, like not on any road. It was, it was just basically an off-road course up a ski mountain and then back down a ski mountain. And it, it, was, it was, we should talk about it. Cause we're talking about it. You want to talk about it now? Let's go ahead like, and talk about it now. So, yeah. And so now that we've brought, we're like on a Subaru binge now, and then we'll yeah. go on a Stellantis binge. So what did you think of the course, Tanya, that you, the, the mud and the muck. Were you there? I don't know if you were there before me or after me. You I was the been... second wave. So yeah, we weren't, you were before me. You were Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay. Right? It was so muddy when we were there. It was so muddy. Like, like, like mud that you look at it, even if you have a capable car like this and you think, mm, maybe we won't drive that, but we did. Yeah. <laughs> I was impressed that they, and it was even muddier for my wave because it had continued to rain. It was, it was in Woodstock, New York which the weather was very similar to Michigan and they've just been having rain, 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 and more rain. So. Yeah. And it was, so, you know, certain OEMs, when they have you off-road, they mean it like Jeep always mean it means it when the, you know, like the GMC guys, they have you take a truck off-road, they mean it. 
you know, they, they're, they're, they're serious about it. I wasn't sure how serious Subaru would be about it. Sometimes there's shorter routes. You know, we had some kind of technical stuff when we did the cross track drive for the, this was for the 2.5 liter for the standard engine, which I've forgotten the number on that one. We did like sort of like up a hill and back down again, a gnarly little hill, but it was like a five minute little track. This one this was some real off-roading. We were taking sharp corners. There were some narrow spots. Very we had to pay sharp. attention to the trees on either side. I was a little worried about those trees. I yeah. was just, there were a couple of times where my co-driver was just barreling through and I'm like, we are so going to hit one of those trees. I really I know. I, it was, it was very narrow. And then when you came down, like there were spots where they literally said like, you're, you're, let the hill descent do it because the hill descent is going to be what sort of saves you here. And it did it. And it's, you're just like steering. Cause it's like slidey, slidey, slide. Cause it's just mud. There's no traction. There's nothing for out of the tires to grip onto, but then they got kind of rutted. Like we were going through some serious, I always think of them as moguls because like, you know, the, butt where they're trying to get left wheel up, right wheel up, left wheel up, right wheel up. We're going through that. And I was really genuinely impressed with how well it handled. Well, it was such a serious course that afterward we took, we were taking our interior pictures because we never trust, you know, the, the manufacturers to give us all the photos we want and need. And we, we took an engine picture and there was actually some mud, on uh-huh. the, like it had gotten, which I thought, wow, is that, is that okay? I mean, I don't know if that's, a, I mean, it was a lot of mud, but there was a little mud on the engine. It's, it splashes up. We had um, the Subaru. It's it's meant to have that. It's meant to be dirty. <laughs> so yeah, it was funny. We, when we were taking pictures of how we got it all nice and muddy, when we came around the front, um, we had taken a chunk of grass with us in the grill because it had hit it, like come up with enough. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I'm, no, I'm leaving that there. That's proof that we really did this. <laughs> so there's like giant blob of mud. There's mud on the roof. Because it was splashy, some of there were some really big puddles. There's mud on the roof. There's mud. It was, it was kind of refreshing almost to take this and say, okay, nothing. This is probably a little more challenging than what the average person who's going off road in their Subaru oh cross truck is going to do. So but, much more But then it could do it. See, this is what I thought. So say you take your 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 orange cross track because if you buy this, oh, they don't even make orange anymore. No, I don't, I don't think they do. Green, green. Well, okay. no. Don't make orange. They don't make the orange anymore. So let's say you take your green cross track because you couldn't get an orange one because sadness. You take your orange cross track, you go to your little mountain getaway with your family, and you drive on your little dirt road and and it's fine. And then it pours rain on your weekend. And then you gotta go home and you gotta drive go back down that dirt road and suddenly it's muddy and a horrible mess. And you think, oh no, we're never getting home. You would actually get home. You would that's where, that's where I see people driving through stuff that was quite as gnarly as that. It's like, we've gotten here. We're here. Oh, wow. The weather did not do what we thought it would do. We got to get back and it will still get you back. So I like kudos to Subaru for letting us drive that. And also like, wow, it did surprisingly well driving that. That's a really good point. Cause I always do these courses and I think nobody in their right mind is going right? to set out to drive on, on roads like this, but you're right. I mean, you can get somewhere and then it can change. So mm-hmm. it's good to have a vehicle that can get you home. That's yeah. probably a good tagline, right? Yeah. And your dogs. Take care and of your, your dogs, dogs. too. Yes. So did you see the cool thing they had? I just thought this was neat. They had one of the Subarus and it was an orange one. So it had to be an older generation, maybe if they're not doing orange, but they had it with their, all their interior protective stuff for your pet. Did you, did they have this one there when you were yes. driving Tanya? Yeah. That was actually one of the PR guys. That was his personal Subaru. It was, it was his car and he yeah. had it. So it didn't just have, but this is the quote and I've never seen this. So it had official really plush, durable, gray padded stuff all over the cargo area all over the the rear seats, all over the front seats. Everything fits. You could still 
pull seat belts through, you know, everything was still accessible, but it had little back door panels. Like they popped sort of like they, they slid over the doors and it was plastic, not super heavy, but like a plastic. So that if your dog tends to want to scratch at things, he's not scratching your door panels to bits. Well, so, here's the irony that I, a backstory, that PR person doesn't actually own any dogs. He has, he has a cat and he takes his cat everywhere with oh him. Oh my gosh. So his cat with claws, maybe they looked in good shape. Yeah. Actually, everything that was in that Subaru, that looked, it wasn't, it didn't look torn up by a dog. So I don't know if that's, or a cat, it, either that's a testament to the quality of it, or he has a super chill pet that he just doesn't want cat hair everywhere. <laughs> his cat is very cool. He has his own Instagram page. His name is Tiny Elvis. <laughs> he did show, was that that he did show the picture of the cat during the yeah. presentation? Just kind of like, it's always, we always show pictures of Subarus with dogs. I want cats to have equal, equal time. Equal opportunity for all pets. Now yes. we need to get like a ferret in there. Or something. A ferret, maybe a rabbit, baby goat. I don't know. We'll have to work on that. <laughs> well, you know, the next drive for the, so this is kind of funny. Subaru is having three drives this year for the crash. Yeah. They were actually kind of, you know, like. It's a little, it's a, but you know, it's three different vehicles. So the, the next one is going to be the wilderness package right? and that's going to be in September in, in Utah. So that'll be one more cross trek experience. Let's see if they can give us this. And that one should be the most off-roady of the bunch, Tanya. Utah. Like right. if we did, so we did, so it's almost like degrees of it's accelerating. So it was like a nice little five minute rocky kind of gnarly thing. Then it was like, I don't know, that was maybe half an hour. It was at a least. good half hour. We drove a little too much. Yeah, like driving through the mud and the muck in Woodstock. Okay, yeah. now you're giving us the wilderness. Okay, Subaru, you got to give us like an even more crazier stuff to drive through. I'll drive with you, it, Tanya, if we go. Yeah, if we end up going and we're in the same wave, Tanya, we will drive together and see if we can get through the <laughs> the crazy. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. I, I give Subaru props. They really yeah. do. You know, they don't just build some tiny little off-road course. They actually have. No, they did it, which I, like I said, I appreciate when they really do it. My, my, my gold standard for you guys didn't really try is if I feel like I could take a Camry on the course, you didn't really try. (laughs) You would have not taken your Camry on here. It would have gone poorly for your Camry. So so would, would you put the, um, the course, the off-road course that we did with the Hyundai Palisade last fall in that, uh, didn't really try I sadly would. I think there was one spot on that whole course that was a little bit muddy. There was sort of like a little bit of a hairpin turn and it got a little bit that orangey mud that you have down there in the Carolinas. And it got, but I feel like if you just gunned it a little bit, you'd have gotten your Camry right up that sucker. I love you, Hyundai. I love your Palisade. That course was not off-roady enough for what that, to show off what it could have done. It didn't show that it did anything. It didn't show it off. I've actually driven that course three, three different trips with, with three different vehicles. And they, that was, they just really, it was a tiny little portion and, and the the easiest portion, but you know, I don't, I don't blame them. It's, it's a palisade. It shouldn't be built for, but like, I feel like if you're going to tell me, Tanya, if you tell me you're going off road in this vehicle, I had best see off road. <laughs> well, I felt like it was all. Well, I mean, we, we were technically off road. I mean, it technically, was, there was no pavement. There was no pavement. There was very little pavement on that drive entirely. But yeah, but That's I true, that, like, yeah. if you're going to try and show me like this can off road, then show me it can off road. Even Mazda did more off roadiness in there. They did a Mazda one a while back and they're trying to show the Mazda uh, CX-50. CX-50 and that yeah. was relatively tame overall, but it was like, no, there were spots here where it was steep enough 
sharp enough up or down, uneven enough left to right that you needed a little SUV that had a little bit of capability to get through it, or you could have been in trouble in a sedan. So. Well, I think what what's cool, you know, I haven't driven the Crosstrack, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, the fact that it can, there's got some significant off-road chops, you, yeah. you know, certainly no Wrangler Rubicon, but, <laughs> you know, it can, it can do, it can take you places where you wouldn't go with a Camry. And, you know, the base price is only 25 grand. It's really good, which is is pretty impressive. It's it's not, it's cheap. It's cheap and it's cheap, but it doesn't feel cheap. It's no, it doesn't feel cheap. And you get a lot for base, you know, that's the thing. It's, they're not just, they're not just nickel and diming you with every little thing. It's like, and there's only three trims that I appreciate that it's like a well-equipped, excuse me, a well-equipped base model. If that's where you are, you want a little bit more finery, you know, a little bit more in your Subaru go with a sport. And if you're really looking for it to look different and just have more power, you got the RS. I think it's a nice lineup. I think it, I think it's a good lineup. And like you said, all have a good price. Nothing in that is outrageous for what it is. And I'm going to say one more thing about the interior before I forget, because I thought this was notable. It's got all the tech, but they haven't completely gotten rid of all the knobs. And their point was a lot of times people driving them are in the, in cold weather areas and they've got gloves on and they don't want to make everything touch, you know, I mean, you got to be able to do some things with, with, with dials, with actual old school dials and, and, you know, turning on the seat heat and stuff like that. You can do it super fast, super easy with like an old school toggle. Yep. And I thought, you know, that's, that's actually really practical and it's yeah. not just them taking the cheap way out. It's like, you can do it. You can do a lot of tech things, but you can yeah. also do some quick. Yeah. And it matches, like I said, with the Impreza, they do the same thing. Like it's consistent within the brand. The three yeah. trim levels for the Impreza that are those, you know, that I just mentioned, having everything easy. You don't, everything's tough and like durable and easy to grab with your hands and gloves and nothing feels like it's so fragile. It's going to fall apart at the first, you know, sign of mud and it's consistent and the pricing is consistently a value across the brands. So that's one of the reasons I like Subarus. I think they're a good choice. And even though they don't have that orange anymore, I know. the Sunblaze Pearl looks pretty cool. I kind of like that. It Sun- is. It's really yeah. nice. They did have that out there. Yeah. Yeah. They have like some green. Good I'm all about green. You know, I love green cars. So I'm like beeline for the green car. I'm a blue car person, but I don't want boring blue. I don't want just yeah. like navy. I want some kind of fun blue. What, blue. Yeah, the sapphire like, like blue the, pearl <laughs> that they have on the on the cross track looks pretty good. good. What what color your colors? So Tanya's all about the greens. I'm about the blues. Sam. I like, I like blue generally, but you know, just I'm, I'm very much in favor of any bold colors on cars. I, I think it is long past time that we should ban all grays and whites and blacks from cars. We've had way too many of those for way too long. And we should just, you know, we should have a period where we just have bold colors. Okay. Can I tell you, I saw a color. You're not going to believe this, Sam, that is better than the crystal soul red metallic in a Mazda. But you can't, you. you can't buy it. You can't have it. Oh, okay. So I, I can share this bit. So this is from something. And I, I was like, I have to mention this. So when I was in, um, I was in Italy this week driving the new Tonali, which I can't give any drive impressions on yet. They're still embargoed, but they took us to the museum. Super fascinating experience. But then they took us behind the scenes with all this stuff. Like here's all the pretty cars with the pretty placards that are all arranged by year or because these are racing or whatever. Then they took us up the staircase into the storage area where it's just row upon row of car and cases full of trophies and bits and pieces of engine memorabilia and all this. And there's this one like there's like it's, it's some alpha that is the deepest, most brilliant 
red that I've ever seen. Like the thing practically glowed. It was this very ruby red. And as I was staring at it, the one, there were two people giving the tour. And I said, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. I said, can you buy that? She's like, no. I said, what is that color called? And she said, they didn't make it. It was on this little sort of de- like prototype or one-off that they had done. She's like, it doesn't have a color. We just called it like, I think it was either six or nine layer red because it was that many layers of red <laughs> to get that red. It didn't have a name. And I'm like, oh, that might be the, cl- I'll have to send you the picture, Sam. I took uh, a picture. The, the, the first time I've seen a red, but you, of course you can't buy it. Cause if it's that many layers, it probably would have also been like a, you know, $20,000, right? $20,000 paint option. But I'm like, Oh, that's pretty good. But that's the closest I've seen to anything as cool as that Mazda red is the unobtainium. That is this one alpha red. <laughs> Very nice. Did you know you can support wheel bearings directly head to patreon.com slash wheel bearings media, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you and exclusives and improvements are already on the way. Thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Uh, time for a Stellantis binge. Oh, I just had a I just had a lineup of Stellantises. So I have Stellanti. Would that be the plural of Stellantis? Stellanti, Stellanti. Stellanti. <laughs> um, it works. So here's the thing. I, I'm going to make a, con- it's a confession. It's confession time. I am, am more, I, I prefer a minivan to a pickup. <gasps> I, go ahead and say it. I it's have okay. a Pacifica hybrid plug-in this week and it is, it's just so luxurious for a minivan. I haven't been in a minivan in a long time. It's got these little bolsters. Excuse me. Shouldn't you be referring to that as a, as an MPV or something like a multi-purpose vehicle? Multi-purpose vehicle. I don't know. I don't even think they call it anything. They're not even yeah. trying to. It's just the Pacifica. <laughs> Here's you our minivan. <laughs> you decide what you want to call it. It's just the Chrysler Pacifica. But you know what? The plug-in, I just love plug-ins so much. It's like, I don't know why there aren't more plug-in hybrids. This thing is just, you get like 35 miles of, of electric, which is, you know, really usable. And then if you go want to go to, I'm going to go to Ann Arbor today. So I'm, I'm going to flip over to the gas and it's, I won't have to worry about, you know, running out of, out of juice, which you know, I could probably get to a, to Ann Arbor and back on on most battery electric vehicles, but still, I just I like having both. I, I just personally like it. And this one, they give you such a long cord. I'm actually parked way far away from my 120 because I don't have a level two yet, and I can reach it. It's like amazing how long the cord is. So I know it's a little stupid thing, but and it's that's, no, I mean that's that's that a legit not, thing. Yeah, it's not something we've easy. actually we've actually talked about in in yeah. the last few weeks because we had a. A listener send in a note, um, you know, about a friend who had bought, um, I can't remember if it was an EV or a plug-in hybrid, but was trying to figure out, you know, they didn't, they didn't have access to, to charging at home and, you know, was trying to figure out, you know, if they could charge it at work, you know, if they could, if they could do it with an extension cord and, you know, so we're, you know, recommending that you know, if you're going to do this, you know, at any significant distance, what you want is a really heavy duty extension cord. Right. Uh, to to enable that uh so you don't melt it um but uh yeah i mean it's it's a it's a legit issue for a lot of people and it's you know honestly it's easy like i i'm starting to notice they're not all obviously the same in terms of plugging in and and even ones that they give you at home versus the level 3 chargers this level 2 one or you know the the plug in at home is super easy to use it's just very intuitive you can do it in the dark you don't have to get out a manual or anything it's just very plug and play 
You know, it's a plug and play. So I, I love this. I've only had it for a couple of days. I had the Ram Rebel 1500 pickup, which was awesome and badass, but, and it had an amazing back seat. I was really impressed with how big the back seat was. Huge, yeah. Um, but I'm just, you know, you got to lower it and raise it. Didn't have any, any guardrail. It was just really a lot. It was just, it took a lot to just get in and out of it. Basically. I feel like that's the perfect description of the Ram rebel, the Ram rebel. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's cool, and, that's, but... and that's not even a TRX. Right. <laughs> and then week before I had the grand wagoneer, which was just really grand. It was, I, I can, it's see a lot too. It's, it, it, it also is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, parking both of them was very challenging. I mean, you really have to think about where you're pulling in and how big the space is. But I, I felt I felt like the the pickup was harder to park for some reason than the Grand Wagoneer. Is I it technically have... longer? I mean, the Grand Wagoneer isn't a shorty, but I feel I, I I don't actually know which of those vehicles is technically longer. I isn't that funny? Question. The Grand Wagoneer is so darn big. We're like, hmm, is the truck bigger? Like the or Grand is... Wagoneer is longer. Did, did, did you have the Wagoneer L or the? The regular Grand Wagoneer. I Okay. I think that one long. might actually be longer. It was really long, but I just didn't feel, it didn't feel as awkward to park for some reason. That's I don't, fair. Yeah. And it really, it's, it's really beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's, I drove a lot that week because I really wanted to be in the vehicle <laughs> and, and, and people were very impressed with it. I took it places and people wanted to see it. And I felt like more of a car salesman that week than I have the last two weeks, you know, because we always feel like car salespeople. You do. People ask you about the car mm-hmm. and you can give them far more information than maybe what they're looking for. <laughs> uh, yeah. And well, sometimes they, I, I feel like I should be getting like a, a cut because I, I've probably just sold this vehicle. Yeah, like, you know, Jeep, I sold three grand Wagoneers. Where's my right? money? <laughs> totally. Like 100%. I, I do think I sold at least two or three grand wagoneers. So I can believe it. Yeah. That's it's well, and you know, the thing is when people see it in the real world, like you see pictures of things or you see it online or you see it advertised, then you see it in the real world. And if it was kind of getting your attention on an ad, once you see it live and in person, and ours are always perfect and high trim level levels and sparkling new, it's like, ooh. Like it matches up with what they just saw on TV. You and know? I love showing people the tricks. You know, it's like I, I love opening up the back of the Grand Wagoneer and making the seats go down. And it's like, you have enough room for a mattress. I think there's mm-hmm. a full size mattress. You could camp back there. there. It's huge. Yeah. And it's like, this would be the most fabulous van life vehicle ever. Van life vehicle. It would be. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Ram 1500 crew cabs are 232.9 inches long. The Grand Wagoneer L is 226.7 inches long. So the Ram is bigger. Slightly. A skosh. Just a tiny bit. About six inches. But not by much. Yeah. Yeah, it just felt huge. And like, I I believe it. I had to keep like, thank God for those cameras. You know, I don't know how people used to park before cameras Mm because I'd have to check to see where the front is and where the back is. And it's like, I never quite had it in my head where it actually was. There was usually more space in, in front than I thought there was. My mom back in the day had a... Um, Grand Wagoneer <clears throat> back in the 80s with no technology. The, the old school oh, Wagoneer. The old school Wagoneer with the faux wood paneling. And she'd park that thing like a champ. And I don't know how she did it. She could wedge it into a parking spot, parallel park it, took her two seconds. I don't know where that skill came from, but I'm like, I don't I don't know that I could yeah, do that with you, one today. If you park one of those next to a, a modern Grand Wagoneer, you know, it's like about two feet shorter. Yeah, yeah. but it's still not a petite vehicle. 
No, uh, you know, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's much closer in size to, you know, a two row Grand Cherokee than it is to, a, you know, uh, a modern Wagoneer. Yes. Oh, it's definitely not as big. Absolutely not. Well, and I think when you own your own vehicle and drive it for a while, you just kind of feel it better. It's like I can feel where my vehicle is. I know where where I I, I do my I wedge my my SUV into spaces, and it's remarkable. So I just think you just know you just you kind get of- used. To, you do get used to your own car, which is part of why I think I have such a hard time parking every press vehicle I get because you go from tiny little car to big car to truck to medium. So you're, you never get never. the sort of spatial sense of how big things are. And, and you know, if you go from a small car suddenly to a truck, it's like, oh gosh, I don't have a sense of how big this truck actually is. Yeah. Well, all week long with the, with the pickup, it was like, respect the truck, respect the truck. <laughs> you have to, it's just huge. You know, I wonder how much, obviously, you know, trucks and SUVs have grown pretty substantially over the last 20, 25 years, you know, and they've, and they've particularly gotten a lot taller um, and visibility out of them pretty much sucks in all of them. <laughs> um, and I wonder how much of that is, you know, the fact that designers and engineers know now that, you know, well, we've got all these cameras, you know, people can see out of them with the cameras. So we don't have to think about, you know, actual visibility anymore because we know they can use the cameras. I wonder how much of that is actually going on, you know, behind the scenes as, as they're developing these things. Because if the, if we didn't have these cameras, it seems to me like they would be much more thoughtful about how big they decide to make these things. And God help you if your cameras break for some reason. Yeah. Or even when you're, even when you have it, like when, during the winter, when there's snow, like snow gets stuck on, yeah, it gets covered with salt and muck. It's not like your car isn't cleared of snow, but drive in the muck for five minutes in New England or in, you know, Michigan or wherever. And you get that road salt and grime and you, the cameras are useless. Right. Or hard. They just don't, you know, you got to kind of look at it. You're squinting through water droplets or whatever. You're like, that is a weird frog eye view now behind me, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I have noticed is on vehicles that have the uh, digital camera mirrors uh, inside, so you can flip the mirror from from oh, the, yeah. the optical mirror to a display that displays a view from the camera. Um, all of those that I've tried recently, uh, they actually do have uh, a washer on the camera. Uh, so if you if you do the windshield washer, or the back window washer. Uh, it will wash that rear camera as well. So if it gets obscured, you can wash it and you can still see behind you. So that that is a good thing. Yeah, that makes it a little easier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else on uh, on the the Pacifica or the Rebel or the uh, the Wagoneer? No, I think that's I covered it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well. I also had a big SUV, um, a big German SUV, uh, the BMW X7 M60i, um, which is um, kind of arguably the uh, the flagship of the mainstream BMW line, not not including the M model. So technically, I guess this is an M model, uh, but you know the the XM you know kind of slots in above this, um, but uh, you know the the X7 the X7's big. Uh, not as big as a as a Grand Wagoneer, um, and uh, you know, especially if you plan to use the third row. Um, there's the third row. I climbed into the into the third row, and there's definitely room for two adults back there. If the second row seats are slid forward a bit, you know, so you're going to sacrifice some some second low second row leg room 
but you you can get adults in both the second and third row. Um, one thing I liked about the the XM um, when you move the second row seats forward to get into the back, um, they actually power not just forward but up. So they lift up and then move slide forward as well. So you you have more room to squeeze in and get back in there into that third row. Uh, so I was able to get in and out of the third row relatively comfortably and sit back there. Uh, you know, I'm five eleven. I had, you know, a little bit of a gap between my head and, and the, the ceiling. I think Robbie probably wouldn't fit back there. I was just going to ask, would Robbie fit? <laughs> probably, probably not. Um, but, but I fit back there, but the problem is if you have the third row seats up, you actually have very little cargo space left in the back. Uh, so I, you know, I picked it up, I picked up the X seven at the airport when I came back from a trip and, you know, I put, um, my bag and my backpack back there and, you know, you can't, you can't, there's, it's the, it's not the cargo area is not deep enough to put a standard roller bag flat down on its side. You basically, you have to put it up. You either have to stand it up or put it on its, on its side. You can't put it on its back. Um, so it's a fairly shallow uh, compartment back there. Um, and you know, the, like the X five, the X seven has the split tailgate. Uh, so the, the top part goes up and then there's, you know, sort of, it's about split about, uh, one quarter, three quarters. So the top three quarters goes up and then the bottom quarter goes down, which is something I think they inherited from Range Rover. Um, you know, cause they, BMW used to own uh Range Rover. Uh, back in the day and and they've they've had that that same sort of setup for a long time um although or maybe bmw started because i think they had that on the original x5 anyway divergence um (laughs) so not a lot of cargo space in the back if you're using the third row so the x7 is probably not an ideal um road trip vehicle for a larger family um and you can you can take you know six or seven people in there but you're just not going to have space for their stuff um, unless you get, um, you know, a, a roof carrier or something like that, or, or pull a trailer. Um, the, uh, the one that I had, the, the M60 is the performance model. So that's a, a twin turbo, uh, 4.4 liter V8, 523 horsepower, 553 foot pounds of torque. So no shortage of performance in this thing. This, this thing is quick um, despite its, its size. Um the the front end you know this is the 2023 model so it's the 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 refreshed design so it's got the new split uh front lights that are exclusive to the top end bmws now uh so the 7 series the x7 and the xm have this layout so you've got thin horizontal strips uh above with your uh daytime running lamps and then another thin horizontal strip below uh it's kind of kind of not totally dissimilar to the the current Genesis look, um, you know, with the headlights below. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, you know, of course, the the large twin kidneys. Um, the one that I was driving uh, was finished in frozen Marina Bay blue metallic, Ooh. which, um, you know, so the frozen means it's it's one of BMW's matte finishes. It's not a, not a gloss finish. Oh, I love matte finish paint. Did it look good? It, it looked great, uh, you know, up until it rained. Um, you know, and oh, then, no. you know, you had the, the road residue that, that, uh, accumulated on there and, you know, then it kind of, you know, I think, I think matte finishes actually look worse after, when you get some of the road residue on there than maybe gloss finishes do. Uh, uh, it's hard, hard to say. 
Um, you know, but I, when I had the i4 the week before, the i4 M50, um, that one had the Portimao blue, the frozen Portimao blue. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marina Bay blue is a slightly darker shade of blue. It when it's clean, it does look fantastic. Um, very very nice uh, color. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the design of BMW's larger um suvs or, or should i say savs sport activity vehicles oh gosh That's we not... don't need another acronym i know <laughs> um but uh you know if you if you've got to drive a big performance uh suv um you know with room for room for a bunch of people uh this one's not a bad way to go um it's it's got the latest iteration of bmw's i drive um like the seven series the new seven series you know it's got the the crystal I drive controller knob and the the little uh, shifter toggle in the uh, center console, you know, which looks kind of fancy. Um, the uh, one that I had had the driving assistance pro package, um, which is their not quite top of the line uh, ADAS package because it doesn't have hands-free capability. Um, so it's a hands-on lane centering system, but it like the I4, it does have the auto lane change on demand. So you just tap the turn signal stock um, and sensors will check if it's all clear. It'll ex- you'll feel the steering wheel turn in your hands, uh, and then it'll do the lane change for you. Um, that that worked really well. Um, it's got heated and cooled cup holders uh, as part of the executive package. I love that. That's so silly, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, if you want to if you want to keep your big gulp uh, chilled, you know, you just slide it in there and. And it'll keep it cold or or you can heat it as well. Um, the massaging seats are, of course, are always a nice thing to have. Um, the both the front and second row seats are heated, have heating available, uh, five zone auto climate control. So you have um the uh the fronts, uh two front zones, two second row zones, and then a third row zone. So those those people that are stuck in the back. Um, they they can control their own temperature back there, which is always nice. That's good. Um, you know, got uh, big twenty two inch black wheels, um, with with big tires. Um, all in, you know, this one came to a grand total of one hundred and twenty two thousand five hundred and forty five dollars. Oof. Uh, so not cheap. Um, and uh, you know, but if you can afford this, you can also afford the gas bill uh, for it. Um, you know, with, with this kind of performance, uh, and size, you know, it's not the most fuel efficient vehicle in the world, but it's not bad. Uh, you know, it's rated at 16 city, 21 highway, 18 combined. Um, I did, uh, quite a bit of highway driving with it, um, and actually managed to, uh, get, um, about 19 overall. Okay. Uh, so, so not too shabby, excuse me, not too shabby. That could be worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know it's not... that's better than I did with the Grand Wagoneer. I think <laughs> yeah, sixteen. It was it was sixteen. I did a lot of highway, but the Grand Wagoneer was only one hundred and seven thousand dollars. I love oh, it. Well. Only <laughs> so, so that offsets, you know. So you know the the fifteen thousand dollars you save buying the car, you can spend that on gas over a couple of years. There you go. <laughs> yeah. um, guesses on the destination charge on the uh, X seven M sixty i. Eleven ninety five. I just, looked up the, I just looked up the Monroney for the Grand Wagoneer. So I've got, I've got that in my head. 2000. Uh, it's Nicole this time. It was only <gasps> nine ninety five. Oh, wow. Get out. 
Wow. Oh, actually, no, you both lose. No, I still lose. lose. Yeah, I was cl- I was the lesser loser, but we're both losers, Tanya. Okay. <laughs> um, look, you know, the, the X7 wow. is built in South Carolina. It's built um, in BMW's plant in Spartanburg. So, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have to, you know, come from overseas or anything like that. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, they do ship the engines and transmissions over. But, uh, you know, I think that BMW just figures, you know, we're just going to be upfront about it. You're going to pay a lot for this car. You know, <laughs> we don't have to hide the price increases in the in the destination charge. Well, I was just going to say the Grand Wagoneer is a two thousand dollar destination. I know. Okay. So, Stellantis so has kind of been the worst as far as jacking up those destination charges. You know, they, yeah. I think that some of the big Rams, the the Wagoneers, they're they're all like two grand. But that one hundred and seven thousand dollars includes the two thousand dollars destination. Yeah. So. So that's the BMW uh, X7 M60i in frozen Marina Bay Marina Bay blue metallic. So if you're if you're going to get an X7, I I definitely recommend that you go for this color. Yeah, you know, it's fifty it's fifty five hundred bucks for the paint, but it's worth it. I think you're spending that much for a car. Yeah. How much is the paint? The uh, five thousand five hundred dollars. Wow. Okay, that's a lot. It's yeah. a lot, but it's but, fancy paint. Like it, it, it is totally a lot, but at least it's like, not just like some of them. Okay. You want the red that's extra. And there's nothing special about the red. At least this is something that's you're genuinely getting something special. different. You know, sometimes just like these colors are regular colors. These are premium and you'll pay an extra $500 or $600 granted way less, but still it's like, oh, it's just, there's nothing really special. This one is like, okay, this is special. That's outrageous, but this is at least special. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Baltic gray metallic clear coat exterior paint on the on the Grand Wagoneer L was only six hundred and forty five dollars. It was a bargain. Yeah. yeah, bargain. Cheap at half the price. Cheap at half the price. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's continue with uh, some of the uh, the new stuff that you've been driving. Uh, I know Nicole has driven both of these. I don't know if you've driven the if you got to drive the new Chevy Trax, Tanya. I did not um, do that trip. No. So, so Nicole, tell us about the Chevy Trax. So the Chevy Trax. First, I have to say I didn't like the old Chevy Trax. I thought the old really? Chevy Trax. I was yeah, right. I know, shocking. I thought it the cheap. old. It was cheap, and that was really all you had to recommend it. So before Chevy's like cross her name off of this, but wait, I like the new Chevy Trax. I actually like the new Chevy Trax. I think it's a nice little crossover. It is. I can't believe I'm going to say this about a Trax, but I think it might be like my favorite of the Chevys at the moment. I genuinely liked this. I was, I, I was going in with so much old tracks in my head. I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even, well, this is, this is not going to go well, but it was actually quite good. So they changed how it looks on the outside. It looks a heck of a lot better than it did before. I think it has better styling. It doesn't look dowdy anymore. So it looks better. I like that. I think they did the interior. The interior looks better. It's not, you know, Alcantara seating surfaces and leather and wood. It's not a luxury car. That's not what they're going for. But the trims that they used inside for a starter, this is their starter vehicle, right? So it's, it's, it's the base. SUV. Yeah. Now the Sonic's gone. It's the cheapest Chevy. 
right? So this is your base Chevy and it's, it actually looks really good for a base Chevy. It has nice trims as you move up the little lineup a little bit, they get a little bit fancier, some color details. Again, nothing is going to give you these super premium materials, but it doesn't look cheap. They've used enough color, enough texture, different varieties of materials that it still has a nice interior. Seating is comfortable and it's bigger this year. It got a little bit longer it got a little bit wider, but they squished it down a little bit. It's actually quite think, a bit longer. It's like yeah. six or seven inches long. Yeah, so it's longer, wider, but shorter in heights. But still not so short that like Robbie, our Robbie test, he would probably be okay. Definitely in the front seat. I think also probably in the rear seats too. But that extra space made this feel significantly bigger. Like the, it's like one of those, okay, it's six inches bigger, but it feels a foot bigger. Like it genuinely feels larger inside. Most of that was in the rear seat room. They gave you much more leg room. So if you're a rear seat passenger, you're no longer going to have your knees pushing right into the back seat, especially if someone's pushed those seats far. Like if the driver's tall, you can still sit someone behind them without their knees being mashed. Um, and it's not the world's most powerful engine, and that's where people are kind of ripping on it. Like, oh, this does not have performance. This zero to 60 is not impressive. This is not quick off the line. Correct. But that's not what this car is. This is a starter car. This is a base level crossover. It's for someone who has a modest budget or simply just doesn't want to spend a ton of money on a vehicle. They're not looking for a performance car. If they're looking for that, they're going somewhere else up the lineup. This is not what that person is. And I feel like it's sort of unfair to the tracks to say, oh, the performance is not amazing. Of course, it's not amazing. That's not what this car is, but the performance is still solid. It accelerates well. It's not overly noisy. If you're trying to get onto the highway, you're not going to feel like the cars behind you are suddenly right up on you because you couldn't accelerate fast enough. It handles well. Um, so I think as a package, like looking at the tracks as a package, I think they did a phenomenal job with this. I think it's really, really good. And I think Chevy deserves a lot of credit for sort of taking the things that really stunk about the old one. The design was lackluster. The interior felt cheap. It wasn't fun to drive taking those things. Like, okay, guys, we got to fix this. And I feel like they fixed it. What's That's, the starting price on that again? I got to pull 20, it up. 20,400. 20. So 20, that is actually General Motors' cheapest car. Is it yeah. really? Not yeah. to Chevy's, because I just did a Buick and Vista story, which and that's going to start at twenty three four ninety five. That's like the next, the next cheapest. General and this, and as, as I recall, I think all there's an, every trim in this lineup starts at over tw at under twenty five thousand. So and, even if you move to the top of the tracks lineup, you were still keeping it under twenty five thousand dollars, which is that's a big deal. This is the base. This is a base vehicle, not just a base trim, base vehicle in a lineup. It what's, shouldn't be, a, you know. What's the horsepower? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't have it off the top uh, of my head. I think it's somewhere around a 135 or 140. It's All right, like, that's the, the Invista is 136 horsepower. Oh, it's, okay. Then it's the same because it, yeah. I mean, it's the same 1.3 liter. It's the same 1.3. turbo. Yep. Oh, it's a 1.2 liter 1. turbo. 1.2, yeah. Yes. So it's, so it's no. not like it is not a performance car. And that's what I kept hearing people saying was we were talking about at the program. They're knocking it for the engine. Well, do you want to spend more? Then you can get a better engine. If you don't want to spend more, if you need a solid, reliable, does all those things, but you don't have a ton of money, then you're getting a base engine that, but still it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like a cheapy economy car. 
And 30 miles per gallon combined, which is pretty good. And again, this is someone who is on a budget. So that fuel economy, that is a person who's really looking at fuel economy, really needs that fuel economy to be good, needs that fuel economy to help them stay on budget. They can't have something that's, you know, drinking gas in big gulps. They need something that sips. And yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're, you know, if you're looking to buy, you know, a, a new car, you know, and you're, you're on a budget, uh, you want something new with a warranty uh, that's going to be affordable to buy, affordable to own, because it's not going to cost you a huge amount in, in mm-hmm. insurance or, or fuel, um, you know, something like this. Yeah. And, and there's a whole class of these, you know, entry level utilities like this one, the Nissan Kicks. The Kona Ven- the Hyundai Venue, um, you know, even even the um, you know the Impreza, uh, you know, and it's funny looking at the the new tracks in profile, looking at the the um, the Chevy website, the consumer website, and you know when you're going through and selecting you know which vehicle you're interested in, mm-hmm. um, you know you see the the tracks, the new tracks, and the Trailblazer. And, you know, it, it used to be that the old tracks was considerably shorter than the trailblazer. The trailblazer was the next step up from the, from the tracks. Um, and the new tracks is actually longer than the trailblazer, but it, like you said, it's considerably lower and its profile looks a lot more in, in some respects, like something like the Impreza wagon or the Impreza mm-hmm. hatch, yeah. you know, or, you know, like a, like a small station wagon, which I like, I, I think it's a great shape. You know, it's, right? it's a very practical uh shape you know it looks sleek you know it's obviously a lot sleeker you know the old one you mentioned you called it dowdy i think it was uh, you know because it was kind of tall and narrow it was you know it had not... weird it had odd proportions like, um yeah this, this has much better proportions yeah um you know it's it's an attractive vehicle um you know like a lot you know aside from the the impreza uh which is all-wheel drive only you know, most of the other vehicles in this segment, you know, these entry level utilities, um, you know, are front wheel drive only. There's no all wheel drive option. And that is kind of the one downside. Right. Uh, if you're interested in this, although, you know, the um, the Trailblazer is only um, about, I think, about a thousand dollars more starting price, um, which, you know, it's, you know, it's uh, like an inch or two shorter than uh, than the tracks. Uh, in overall length, but it's also taller. So it's got yeah. more of that traditional SUV kind of proportion to it. Not, not as weird as the, the, the old tracks was, uh, but it's, um, you know, it, it, it's still quite affordable and it does, you can add all wheel drive to the trailblazer. And, and I feel got- like that's, if you want, that's exactly what the people who are going to go to the trailblazer. And I kind of think not putting that on the tracks is like the reason to go to the trailblazer. Like you're an all wheel drive person. Right. Okay. If you need that, you got to go one. You, know, you, just the, one. you want the cheapest Chevy, you get the tracks. Right. You, if you, if you feel like you need all wheel drive, you can step up to the trailblazer, to the trailblazer. and it's that, not that much more expensive. Right. And I feel like that's the big differentiator between there's other things obviously, but that's a big differentiator. If you want that all wheel drive, you got to go up one step. You're going to pay a little bit more for it. But if you're just like, I just got to get something, you know, I just need a base car. I need a good solid car. This, that's what the tracks is. And it just, it, it's just such a more well put together package. Like I was really impressed. I like truly was looking at it driving. I'm like, I can't believe I like this. I can't believe I like this. Cause I dislike the other one so much. <laughs> well, cool. they did a good job, right? They yeah. did. 
They I'm, did. I'm, I'm glad they I'm glad it sounds like they executed really well on this one. I think uh, they executed well. I think people that pick on the powertrain, it's like, I get it, guys. You're not going to win races, but the, that's not what this car is about. You know, zero to six, I, I looked it up. This thing will do zero to 60 in eight seconds. Zero to 60 in eight seconds is actually not that it's slow. Not, right? It's not like it's not a 3.2. Right? Yeah. It's spoiled. That's just it. It's like, okay, it's the, like. Guys, it's fine. It, most people are going to be totally fine with that acceleration. You're, you know? you're exactly right, Tanya. We have gotten spoiled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't, you know, eight seconds, zero to 60 in eight seconds. You will have no problem at all accelerating exactly. up to merge onto a freeway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, you know, I, I've I've owned vehicles that went, you know, zero to 60 and, you know, much closer to, you know, 15 or 16 mm-hmm. seconds. Yep. Yeah. And those definitely feel a lot slower than this, you know, so eight seconds, you know, is not bad at all. I mean, it's, it's very usable. And, you know, this is the, the, the little 1.2 liter three cylinder turbo, which actually has pretty good low end torque, you know, so driving around town, you know, it, it's very drivable. And I, I personally, I really like the, the kind of, little growling sound you get from these three cylinder turbos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of fun. Uh, it is you know, fun. It, it's characteristic of three cylinder engines and, uh, you know, it, it works well, you know, in something like this or, you know, the one that Ford has in the escape or, uh, you know, the BMWs or the minis, uh, you know, the current generation minis use a three cylinder turbo, you know, it's a, that's a nice little package. Yeah, I'm pleased with it. I hope it does well for them because I think people need to, if people were poo-pooing it, they need to give the new one a chance because it's it's very different. All right, um, let's see. Um, okay, let's shift over to uh, some electric stuff for a few minutes. Electric stuff. So, you know, we've all, you know, we've heard all the rumors about an electric Corvette coming in the next few years. You know, there's a hybrid one that just launched. Um, but um, Apparently, um, there was an electric Corvette built back in 1994, you know, back before there was an EV1. Um, some uh, There's a pretty cool three-part series on uh, the drive uh, about this. Uh, the car was rediscovered relatively recently, I think sometime last year. Um, and it's a, it's a 1987 Corvette convertible. So it's a C4 generation that um, some engineers from Motorola uh, back in the early nineties, we're working on EV stuff. You know, they were looking at, you know, electric motors and power electronics, uh, cause you know, Motorola did a lot of stuff with, uh, vehicle electronics, uh, chips, uh, you know, they, they designed and built their own chips. Um, that, that business was eventually spun off and it's now part of NXP. Um, but, um, the, the culmination of their EV efforts was this, uh, this electric Corvette that they did. Which actually, uh, you know, given the time, uh, you know, yes. this was this was this was you know, nineteen ninety four, you know, before lithium battery lithium ion batteries were a thing for EVs, uh, you know, this was a decade before the original Tesla Roadster, uh, and you know, they originally built it with um, with lead acid batteries, and then they experimented with nickel cadmium batteries, and this thing had some pretty impressive performance. Um, what do you, what do you think of this? Did you have a chance to look at this story? I'm looking through it. I think my favorite part of this story is this wasn't some 
big, like, we're going to take a big investment in this and we'll see what kind of electric vehicle we can build. The folks at GM, it's like a bunch of engineers are like, guys, 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 I bet we can do this. (laughs) It's it's the most engineering. It was like, I think, five people. Yeah, it was a really small, small crew of people that just kind of like, okay, well, let's see. Let's see if we start pulling things apart and putting them back together again. What we come up with, that's kind of just that part of the story alone is brilliant. And like you said, this is not... This is not a, a today's electric vehicle, but dang, this is pretty amazing considering what they had to work with, the time that they were in, and that they weren't they weren't here with a ginormous, huge budget and a huge team behind them. And they built this. Yeah. It's really well written. So I when I started reading it, I saw it was a three-part series. I kind of rolled my eyes, but but Kevin Williams is a great writer. He's a cool guy. And and it's fascinating, like what they went through to do this and and just you know how they did it on a shoestring, basically. Mm-hmm. And what they came up with was was remarkable. And it kind of makes me wonder why was there a such a lag in between this vehicle and when we actually started driving electric vehicles? I feel like people just we're still kind of sort of not ready. I mean, yeah. you're ready, I'm ready, Sam's ready. But you think the the public at large only kind of sort of ready to have electric yeah. vehicles, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair, at at the time, you know, the batteries that they had available to them were still pretty limited. So, you know, this Corvette. I think had a range of you know somewhere miles eighty five miles yeah, yeah. which you know, was not that not would much. not fly <laughs> yeah super um, heavy battery but you know if you took this thing and you know just put some modern batteries in it today and hook those up to the the power electronics and the and the motors that they had in there uh, you know they could probably have a two hundred and fifty mile electric Corvette just by swapping out the batteries mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of people might be interested in, you know, this, you know, owners of of older Corvettes, you know, if they offered that as a kit, it's like, oh, yeah, that that could be fun. You know, especially since it would probably be quite a bit faster than um, than what they, you know, what those Corvettes are with the V8s that they had at the time. You know, I mean, those, the V8 engines that were in these things, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s were only about 250, maybe 275 horsepower uh, mm-hmm. from that 350 V8. Um, and, you know, with with this, you know, with an electric powertrain there, it could probably do quite a bit fast. It could be quite a bit faster. Yeah. Might even, be, might even beat the new tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little tracks. First we sing its praises and now we've like already thrown it under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of electric conversions, you know, there's there's been a number of companies over the years um, that have built conversion kits uh, for a variety of vehicles. And there's some vehicles that are quite popular for doing EV conversions. Um, a lot of people, uh, owners of old 911s and Porsche 911s and 912s, especially 912s uh, with the four-cylinder engine, um, have been doing electric conversions on those over the years. Uh, VW Beetles are a common platform mm. for this. Um, and there's a, a company in the UK called Electrogenic um, that makes kits for several different uh, vehicles, um, including uh, a couple of Jaguars, I think. Um, but uh, they have just launched a kit, uh, an EV conversion kit for the classic minis. Um, you know, so you can buy a brand new mini SE, uh, mini mm-hmm. Cooper SE, uh, which gets, I think like 105, 110 miles of range. Um, but if you've got one of these classic minis, you know, back when minis were actually, you know, mini, 
um, <laughs> you can you can get this kit uh, for about fifteen thousand pounds, which I think is uh, around eighteen or nineteen thousand dollars now. Yeah. Um, and convert it to electric with an eighty mile range, uh, which is pretty cool. It's fun. I think it's a fun thing to do to a classic car. And if I look, there's actually, <clears throat> excuse me, you can get an extended range version, which adds a, a second battery. And I love it. Second battery inside the boot, which <laughs> is coming at a later date. <laughs> so it will take up every ounce of available space <laughs> in this little vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Which, which there isn't much of. There isn't much uh, of. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the other cars that they've, that Electrogenic has kits for are the uh, Porsche 356. Um, the old uh, uh, traditional Land Rover Defenders, the Jaguar E-Type, and the Citroen DS. Um, an electric DS would be really cool. That uh, would be cool. Yeah. A any thoughts on this one, Tanya? Yet, yeah, you want to convert like, your uh, your uh, Equinox? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> you know, actually, it probably would be a better, better uh, source of power than what I'm currently dealing with. But anyway, yeah, you know, I think it's wonderful because I you don't want to see those little vehicles disappear completely. And it's like if this is a way we can take them forward and, and make them cleaner and greener and, and, you know, still functional, probably more functional, like you said, then it's cool. Yeah. This is actually going to make this. I'm just double checking the numbers here. So it was 60 horsepower in the original vehicle and now it'll be wait a minute oh no it's 60 now and it was only 34 so it's like doubling the horsepower yeah. and doubling the torque <laughs> like the original number is 34 horsepower you imagine 44 you know what i'd really like to see i'd like to see robbie try and fold himself into one of those classic minis <laughs> he wouldn't be able to do it we'd have to have like emergency crews and a chiropractor on standby <laughs> to both extricate him and help him stand up straight again <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's stick with electric minis. You know, I mentioned, you know, the current mini uh, EV. Have, have, have either or both of you driven the current mini electric? I did I drive. It's been a little while, but I did drive one of them. Yes, I did drive the I think it was the electric. They don't have a plug in hybrid. They just have the straight up electric, right? Yeah, they've got the, yeah. the countryman as a plug in hybrid. I may have been, may have been the plug in hybrid that I drove. So I take that back. What, what about you, Tanya? I drove. I can't remember now which one I drove, but I drove one of them on mini takes the States. Okay. Uh, last year. So I think it might've been the plug-in hybrid actually. Yeah. Well, there's a new generation mini, the, the current one you know, has been around, been with us for a few years. There's an all new generation mini coming later this year. And as BMW is want to do, they, you know, they've started teasing it out and, you know, releasing some, a few specs here and there and some, some photos of it, you know, testing with, uh, with camouflage on. Um, and so they, this week they released some images of the, the new mini uh, apparently um, the, uh, the current, uh, mini Cooper SE, um, is now has sold over 43,000 units of that. That's a uh, lot. Yeah. They had a 25% increase in sales in 2022. That's uh, a it, huge 25% increase. That's, that's something. Yeah. It's now the most popular variant of the mini. Um, wow. and you know, that's with, you know, barely over a hundred miles of range. Yeah, you know, but it still drives like a mini. It's still a lot of fun to drive. It's still a fun little mini. Yeah. The 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 new mini, the the you know, the three-door mini hardtop, um, is I believe going to be electric only. There's no not going to be a gas version of the new mini. Um, and uh it's coming out later this year. Um, and it's gonna be available with two different sizes of batteries, uh, a 40.7 kilowatt hour battery uh for the Cooper E 
and the Cooper SE gets a 54.2 kilowatt hour battery. And I don't think they've said what the range they is. They gave going it to be. in kilometers. It says the new models get a predicted range of oh, 300, 300 to 400, 400 kilometers. Yeah, kilometers, so, so, kilometers. Yeah. Yeah. So that's <laughs> um, so the, the the base model you know, is probably going to be somewhere around 180, 190 miles of range. Um, and then the, the top end model will probably be somewhere around 250. So the SE will be around 250, um, which is pretty impressive. That's a uh, big know, increase considering, considering how, how small this thing is, how tiny is. And also if they have saw a 25% increase in their sales with the other one, with the limited range that that had, imagine what this is going to do where you now have very usable range. Like you're, you're now competitive, like all oh, the smaller range is smaller, but that the SE with that sort of extended range battery, that's super competitive with what other companies are offering. Imagine well, once. You what, get 160 go kilowatts of power, which is you know, about 220 horsepower. So yeah, that's going to be a hoot to drive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely go for one of these. I could that, go for one of those, fun. and I okay. And this sounds silly, but you know the image that they have there that, that is in the um, header image in this with the camouflage. It's like pink and purple and green. <laughs> I actually love those colors. I just want it just like that. Can they sell me one camo just like that? That yeah, looks cool. Clear cool. cool color combo. It looks like weirdly, it looks like an on-purpose art car, not like something yeah. they were trying to camouflage. <laughs> yeah, that, that is fun. Um, all right. Uh, well, looking forward to trying that one out. All right. Um, let's see. One one more EV story um, before we get to uh, uh, the last one here, uh, which is Lordstown Motors. Um, oh. Have have either of you driven the uh, the Lordstown Endurance? Yeah, I did. So it was eligible for the North American Car and Truck of the Year last year. It was one of the truck contenders. So they did have it available for us to drive at our sort of like fall test days, where we drive the the semifinalists, finalist, a semifinalist, I guess. Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> that Can sound you share like your thoughts about that? <laughs> um, it was not. It was not great. The thing is that it's it's that driving it, it. I guess is is fine. Like in terms of just straight up driving, it's 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 got power and it and it you know and it it. There's nothing about like the powertrain that's bad, you know, and the handling is is okay. But the quality, the interior, the material, it is not great. The inside, it feels, it felt, I was driving a production vehicle and it felt, I know you guys have probably driven both of you prototypes at some point mm -hmm. that where it's like, or even if it's not a prototype, it's like a pre-production, I guess is the word I'm going to It's like a pre-production. So you sit down, you're like, oh, that is clearly not the plastic that is going to be in the one consumers get, or that's clearly not the right trim piece or that fit and finish there. That's not how this is going to look. And it's a Toyota. So you're absolutely right. You know what I mean? It looks better when you get the finished product. It had a very pre-production feel to it, even though it wasn't, which it's is, like, it's like $65,000, right? And it, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine what kind of like for the price to look at, if this was a bargain price, I might feel differently, right? But it's like, you look at, you're like for what you're selling this for and for, it, it just didn't, it really didn't impress it. And it, you know, and it was done. It was what it was going to be. It looks cool on the outside. The exterior looks pretty funky. Yeah, it's not a bad design. The design on the outside is great. Even the design, I guess, on the inside isn't bad. But in terms of just, would you want to spend any time in that vehicle? The answer is no. 
it just is not comfortable enough. It's not attractive enough. It feels, it feels sort of unfinished. It feels very, very work truck, I guess, inside. Just sorry, Lordstown. <laughs> would would it be fair to say that the only reason why the the uh the Lordstown Endurance was a finalist for the uh North American Truck of the Year award this year was because they needed three finalists and there were only three trucks that were launched last year, uh, oh. including the, the endurance. I think it's fair to say that if there were additional trucks, this probably wouldn't have made it. How's that? Yeah. Is yeah. that the most politic answer I could give to that question? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I was I was supposed to, uh, you know, I'd been in touch with one of their PR people and we we're supposed to have uh, an opportunity to drive it back in February, then in March, uh, both of which got canceled at the last minute. Um, you know, and uh, I'm frankly not surprised uh you know so earlier this week i was uh did an interview with a, a cleveland tv station um because some news came out so just a little backstory on lordstown motors for those who, who don't remember um this was a company that was created in 2018 uh, by steve burns who had been the founder of workhorse group another company which was trying to do electric delivery vans um, he left Workhorse. Workhorse had been working on a pickup truck. Uh, he left Workhorse, started Lordstown um, right after GM announced that they were shutting down their Lordstown, Ohio assembly plant. And they were getting a lot of political grief from the uh, former president at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in order to basically try to silence him, um, they said, look, you know, if anybody wants this factory, I mean, we don't need the capacity right now. If somebody wants it, you can have it. And they effectively paid Steve Burns to take the factory because, you know, he started Lordstown Motors with essentially no funding. And um, GM loaned him $75 million, uh, 20 of which was meant to pay GM back for the factory uh, and then, you know, have some working capital. And then when Lordstown ultimately did go public through a SPAC transaction in 2021, um, you know, GM's, the, the money that GM was owned was converted to equity, which they have since sold off. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Lordstown struggled to, to get this thing done. Um, you know, they basically ran out of money they agreed to sell the factory on to uh, Foxconn, uh, maker of iPhones and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and, and, you know, Foxconn wanted the factory because they have a deal with Fisker to build Fisker's second product, the, the, the pair next year. And so they wanted the factory for that. Um, and so, um, you know, they paid Lordstown like 270 million, I think, for the factory, uh, which is a pittance uh, mm -hmm. for, you know, considering, you know, this was a fully, fully equipped factory. Um, and that gave Lordstown a little more runway, which they've now pretty much burned through. Run out. Um, and, you know, their stock price is at, I don't know, I think less than 20 cents a share. Um, and they're in danger of being delisted from the, from the NASDAQ. Um, and, you know, Foxconn had agreed to invest some more money, uh, but, you know, that I guess one of the criteria was, you know, that they had to remain publicly listed. Uh, and with that likely not going anywhere, you know, Foxconn is 
in no mood to give Lordstown any more money. Lordstown, I think, has built. They think they said they've built something like thirty-one trucks. Um, yeah, thirty-one. And, and, yeah. and delivered something like three of them uh, before the end of twenty twenty-two. Um, Yikes! <laughs> yeah, um, and I think their total revenue last year was like less than two hundred thousand dollars. It's just, you know, with the the hard, it's, and it, it's like, I really don't want to see any car company fail, like regardless of the, like, because in the end, that company is a bunch of people, there's a bunch of people working there and there's engineers who put an incredible amount of time into that vehicle and designers and, and everybody puts any vehicle. It's not an easy thing for an established company to do much less for one that's trying to do a startup. And I feel bad for the people that put their heart and soul into this. I want to see every company succeed. And even when I was driving this, they had um, people there from Lordstown, like engineers that were so passionate about it. And even then that was last October. So time has passed, right? Things looked a little bit better for them surviving back in October. And I'm like, I keep thinking about this one guy. I'm like, Oh, he's watching a sort of like passion project. Just evaporate, evaporate, which is just, I, yeah, I would like to see them all succeed. Like, Oh gosh, please don't fail. You guys are working so hard. So it's, it's sad to me to see that they have not managed to pull it off. It's sad. You know, I mean, the the problem for Lordstown is they were targeting the commercial truck market, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's a tough market. You know, it's a big market. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's also dominated by Ford, General Motors, and to a lesser degree, Stellantis. Right. Um, you know, Ford is like 40% market share in commercial pickups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Lordstown has an unproven product that costs more, has less range and less payload than an F-150 Lightning. No um, dealer, you know, no product support network. You know, Ford's got thousands of dealers, you know, if, yeah. if you're, if you got a business, you know, you rely on these vehicles to get your job done, to, to get your, to make your revenue. If there's something that's not working, um, you know, you need it fixed like yesterday. Right. And, um, you know, that's not something Lordstown was going to be able to deliver. You can't uh, afford downtime yeah. with commercial trucks. It's hard enough when your personal vehicle's down, when a commercial vehicle is down, that means you're not servicing customers. You're not getting worked. I mean, you're, you're really, truly burning through cash every minute that your commercial truck is not doing whatever it's supposed to be doing, you know, and that's a huge risk to take. That's a huge risk for a business to take, especially for smaller businesses, which, you know, in terms of, you know, it, it's a significant portion of that overall market. Right. Yeah. And small businesses that might've been able to say like, you know, cause you're going to buy a fleet of vehicles. You're really taking a gamble buying a hunt, you know, a hundred or whatever Lord's 10 endurances. But if you're a smaller business, you want to take advantage of this. You're going to buy those one or two trucks. If you only have a couple of trucks and you lose one, you just have your ability to do business. That's, that's, that's so hard for a small business to take that gamble. Yeah. Well, and if it means anything, I'm I'm just looking at their Twitter account. They've they've pretty much gone silent. They haven't tweeted since April 20th. So, yeah, they. I mean, it's it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it sucks when you know a, an interesting startup doesn't make it, but it's also the reality that it most is. businesses of any kind, you know, whether especially automakers, you know, getting the automake the auto business is a tough business, but you know, any business, most startups fail. Yeah. So right. Most new businesses don't make it. The ones that make it, 
it's like, it's such a small percentage of the ones that make it. So yeah, it's, but I'm, I was sad to see them fail. They were just so passionate about it. It, it makes me sad. Yeah. All right. Last item, uh, an accurate NSX trailer. Um, did, did, uh, well, first of all, you're, you're both familiar with the one lap of America, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's been going on since what the mid eighties, I think. When it's they been first a long time. It. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a, kind of a, a more civilized offshoot of the, uh, the cannonball runs and, uh, it's, it's still going on. Um, and, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, automakers will put together, you know, something special to, to run in the one lap, you know, or they'll take a prototype and, and run it. Um, and, uh, this year for the one lap, um, some engineers from Acura, um, are going to um, tackle the one lap of America uh, with an Acura NSX, or more 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 precisely, one and a half Acura NSXs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a thirty two hundred mile road rally um, that actually is going on right now as we record this. It uh, started uh, yesterday, and it uh, goes sixth. Yeah, and it's 15 states. Is that what I'm seeing here? Uh, track yeah, events. I think so. With track events, it's just it's one of the more challenging grassroots motorsports. 38th running of this, and it starts and ends at the Tire Rack headquarters in South Bend, Indiana, which is a really cool place. I've been there. 15 states, timed track events at some of the greatest motorsports facilities, like Road Atlanta and Brasselton, Georgia, Nashville Super Speedway. So it has events. It's not just drive. There's actual events within the drive. So it's a it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and the the half of an NSX that I mentioned um, comes from the fact that you know, as you may be aware, the um, the NSX doesn't have a whole lot of room to carry your stuff. No, it does not. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no room for a spare tire or or anything else. Bah, who uh, needs there. spare tires? Yeah. Silliness. Uh, so yeah. um, this NSX is set up with a trailer hitch, and it has a trailer that they these guys built up from the back half of an NSX development mule. Um, so they, they sliced the body in half at the B pillar, uh, took the back half, um, finished off the interior. They're using <laughs> so it to carry spare tires and assorted other gear that they may need along the way. You know how we mentioned a minute ago with the electric vehicle, the Corvette that was built and how engineers just have at it. I feel like this is another case of engineers. Guys, 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 look what we could do with this. Yeah. <laughs> they just did this. We, we, a bunch of yeah. engineers. <laughs> we got this development car sitting outside in the back. It's going to be going to the crusher anyway. Right. Let's, let's cut it in half and make it guys, into a trailer. Let's chop it in half and make it into a trailer. You can't do that. Yeah, we can. Boom. Here you go. <laughs> Yeah, our listeners really need to Google one and a half accurate NSX and actually see. Yeah, the you have to. I'll, see I'll have a link this. in the in the in the show notes. It's fabulous. Like yeah. engineers, I love engineers. Engineers are the best. Like a normal human would have been like, well, I'm going to put an actual trailer in the back. They're like, no, we're going to lop a car in half and put that on the back as a trailer. Thank you, engineers, for existing. <laughs> and, did, and did you notice, Sam, that the 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 whole NSX is is actually orange? Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, it is orange. It. It's most orange with some black. Little black, like yeah, black, black checkerboard half, sort of The pattern. half of an NSX is black. Yeah. Yeah. Because it blends. See, yeah. that's the design aesthetic. Orange to it's black. Like, it's like gradient back, and then, from orange to black. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's one, <laughs> like one giant line of car. <laughs> yeah. No, this is cool. I, I love this. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's uh, some of the, uh, 
some of the crew from uh heart which is honda american racing team uh which is you know a long-running team uh it's based it's populated by uh honda engineers um uh, that has been competing in all kinds of events for ooh, at least going back to the early 90s maybe longer um and uh they're yeah, you know, they they take some of the things that they learn doing their development and applying it to their their race cars, and then go out and race on the weekends. So this is fun. I I like this. I love that they're doing this. I think it's fun. I think it's very cool. I want to see stunt, but it's also a marketing stunt. So it is. That's yeah. to both worlds. I want marketing to see stunt for a car it. that's out of production and no longer available. I want to see pictures of it in action. Like this is a static image of it, you know, on a track. I want to see it just. I want to see this thing driving along. <laughs> Yeah, I hopefully they'll uh disconnect the trailer before they do the track events, but probably you know. I, I, probably, but still I just want to see this thing tool along the road like ho to ho to ho. Like what's yeah. the person's reaction? You imagine you're just driving your minivan Tanya and you see this you're like what? Oh, that would is be that? I'd be like ready to drive off the road. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh let's answer a couple of listener questions before we wrap it up for this week. Um, we'll start with, uh, Richard DiCarlo, uh, and you referenced this at the top of the show. I Nicole. did. I'm going to read this one. So Richard DiCarlo okay. said, love your show, but I have a pet peeve. Could you please come prepared to say what publication you write for? We all know you guys write for a lot of them, but when you do it every single week, it almost sounds like you're bragging when you fumble around to say one. I'm not bragging really R- Richard. It's a matter of me trying to remember what I said the last time I was on the show and what I said on the last show that I had to say this on because I've just said it very many places and I haven't said the same thing everywhere. But I said car talk as quickly as possible without a second thought today. I had it written on a notepad. So it's not it's not um, it's not trying to brag. Really, it shouldn't sound like bragging. It should sound like Nicole's brain is scattered, which is really the more accurate representation (laughs) of what is happening right there. I was and, just going to say, we're just confused. We don't. Yeah. Know. Yep. <laughs> and, and when when you're a freelancer, your brain does tend to get a little scattered. I mean, it's just it's the nature of the nature of the job. You know. Yes. When it, it, when you've got deadlines, you know, to half a dozen editors at different <laughs> publications, yeah. You know, like, oh, what did I? Oh, which story was I supposed to write? For I know him? it is very scattered, and so I try to. And what I try to do is I try to dole out like references to all of them. Like, okay, I said this when I talked to these people and I said that when I talked to these people and I referenced that and that thing. I'm like, who haven't I done in a while? Haven't I done in a while? Uh, That's what I try to do. But I will endeavor to have one ready every week right off the bat just for you, Richard. (laughs) All right. And finally, uh, from LJ, uh, this also came in by email. And if you want to send us your questions or comments by email, uh, you can send those to feedback at wheelbearings.media. Or you can record them. Uh, we, we've only had one of those so far, but if you want to record your message or, or question um, and then just put that in a Dropbox or OneDrive or wherever you want, if it's small enough, you can just attach it to the email, send it to us. We will use that in the show. Um, LJ asks, um, the longtime listener, patron, thank you, LJ, and thank car you. enthusiast. Uh, I look forward uh, to each week's episode to drop. I'm especially looking forward to hearing your remarks on the Cadillac Lyric as teased in last week's show. Sadly, I have nothing new to offer yet on that. I'm still waiting to hear back from Cadillac on that question. Uh, But since it wasn't brought up in yesterday's show, uh, which was last week's show, uh, I would have to assume that your contact at Cadillac hasn't gotten back to you yet. That is correct. (laughs) Um, I don't feel that's, I don't find that surprising as GM seems to be tightly curating the narrative surrounding this rollout. There has been precious little new information since the press event last summer in Park City. 
Um, if you do ever get to evaluate a lyric, one option I'm interested, uh, particularly interested in hearing about, no pun intended, is the noise canceling. A freakish escape room accident incident, coupled with years of playing in a band that refused to use in-ear monitors, has left me with uh, hearing loss and tinnitus. Um, in particular, the tire noise on certain road surfaces makes it next to impossible for me to follow a conversation. It would be in, it would also be interesting hearing anything about the mythical all-wheel drive version. As I understand it, if the noise canceling comes with the upgraded sound system, which is packaged with the Super Cruise as part of the level two upgrade, uh, since I like to drive, I don't really want Super Cruise and probably wouldn't pay $20 a month for it after the initial period. Um, like last week's letter writer, I'm a deposit paying pre-order holding prospective lyric owner. Um, Super Cruise and sound canceling were part of the bait. I mean, uh, launch version, uh, but are a four to $5,000 extra option. Now, similarly, there has been precious little information as, as to if, and when my pre-ordered all wheel drive will be scheduled and or built, excuse me, and what the price of that car might be. Um, at any rate, thanks for a great show. So Larry, um, what I have heard, um, is that, um, the uh, the production rate of Lyric is accelerating. Uh, part of the reason for the very slow rollout has been limited availability of the batteries. Uh, they had a fairly slow production ramp up at the Lordstown battery plant, um, which when GM closed the aforementioned Lordstown assembly plant, they built a new battery plant uh, just down the road from there. Um, and it that started production last late summer, I think, and it's had a very slow, excruciatingly slow ramp up, which is also why they've had a hard time building Hummers and, and other stuff. Uh, but that apparently is getting under control. They're ramping up that production. Uh, and they will also soon be starting production sometime a little later this year at another plant in Spring Hill, Tennessee, which also happens to be next door to where they build the Lyric. Um, so supposedly when the second quarter numbers, I think in first quarter they delivered just shy of a thousand lyrics. Um, when the second quarter numbers come out um, at the beginning of July, um, the the volumes for the lyrics should be up significantly. Um, right now, as you mentioned, they're still just building rear drive versions. The all wheel drive, uh, I don't think are scheduled to be built until late summer, early fall uh, at the earliest. <clears throat> so that's probably the soonest that you would, would probably get one. Um, I Noise canceling. Um, yeah, I don't think noise canceling is actually part of any package. It's on most hybrids and EVs, noise canceling is actually a standard feature. Um, because you know, they they do you know, when you take away the engine from a vehicle and replace it with an electric powertrain, all of a sudden all the other noises that happen in a car become much more apparent. Yeah. And so I, I suspect that the noise canceling will be there regardless of what other options you may or may not choose. Um, but I don't, I can't say that for certain on the lyric. I will, I will ask that. I will follow up with Cadillac and and check on that as well. I can say, and I, I don't know about the noise canceling, you know, to what Sam said on that stands, but I did drive the lyric um, because it was a contender for North American car and truck of the year once again. So I had a very brief drive in it um, when we were evaluating that. And I was sitting here trying to think if it was, I know, 
I don't know if it had specifically had noise canceling. I don't know if that's standard, but it was, I did find it exceptionally quiet because what Sam said is true. You do notice every other noise that you suddenly never heard before you hear once you're driving such a quiet car to begin with, you know, once you go with a battery car, everything else sounds very loud. And I was, I found it relatively quiet and it was raining. As I recall, for part of the time that we were driving it, it was not great weather. So, um, I did find it a quiet car and I'm really now wondering if the one I had had that I wish I knew for sure. Actually, yes, there is. I just Googled it and found that there is noise. There is active noise canceling. It's it's a, a unique material called, I can't pronounce this, Vidini AVS, which is made by Ascend Performance Materials in Houston. And it's okay. being used by the Lyric. Oh, I see. Yep. I see your link. Yeah. Vidine? Yeah. Vidine? Yeah. I don't know how you say that. Fancy yeah. AVS material. Yeah. That Tanya has found um, can reduce cabin pressure, sound pressure by 80%. Limited road noise while not sacrificing safety. Yeah, I didn't, I found it a very quiet ride. So I, it, yeah. even given like compared to other EVs because EVs, you know, you don't have the engine noise, but so I'd be curious to see what you think, Sam, when, and if you finally get one. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, this material, this is actually part of the passive noise canceling system, you know, cause the, the distinction between active and passive noise canceling, um, you know, passive is things like sound deadening materials that are right. on a lot of vehicles and mo- all vehicles have some degree of sound deadening materials, except for probably my Miata, um, which <laughs> if I, you know, anyway, um, but, uh, you know, this is, this is a new material. You know, one of the challenges with putting sound deadening materials in there is it tends to add a lot of weight. Uh, they tend to be fairly heavy. Um, you know, cause it's basically like a, a type of insulation, you know, meant to dampen vibrations and, and keep noise out of the cabin. And it's a, it's a good thing, you know, something like this, um, you know, the active noise cancellation is where you have like, like active noise canceling headphones, mm-hmm. you know, there's a microphone that's looking, that's listening at the ambient sound and generating, uh, opposite sound waves using the audio system to cancel those out. Um, and as I said, almost all EVs and hybrids have some form of active noise canceling built in there uh, to cancel out, you know, some of those particular frequencies that can be particular and that can be especially annoying um, like, you know, road noise, you know, tire noise. So my guess is that, um, you know, you should be much more comfortable in this car, given your, your hearing challenges uh, than you would be in a lot of other vehicles. Uh, But I will, I will endeavor to follow up with Cadillac on that. All right. Any other final thoughts before we wrap it up for this week? I don't think so. I think that covers it. Thank you for being on the show, Tanya. It was nice to have two ladies for a change. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks, Tanya. Talk Subaru. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And uh, we'll see you again somewhere soon. And everybody else, we will talk to you next week. Bye, Bye, everyone.